Welcome to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show. Here you will find a variety of podcasts from authors, bloggers, and speakers ready to encourage you on your daily journey. I can't wait to get started. And now let's listen to today's show. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. What is creation? Did God create the world in six days and rest on the seventh? Does anyone really care? These questions and many more, including teaching tips and great resources, are presented in the Creation Science Podcast. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and it's my pleasure and honor to be your host. Some of these shows are from my Best of Creation Expos and other presentations I've completed throughout the years of teaching on this topic. I'm the owner of Media Angels, Inc., a publishing company that produces books, audios, and videos to help you and your family in your Christian walk. Check out my books and other podcasts at MediaAngels.com. To get the show notes for this broadcast, go to CreationSciencePodcast.com. And now, let's learn together. Well, good morning, everybody. Are you guys ready for an amazing morning? I have to tell you ahead of time, this is going to be a topic that you are going to want to listen to again and again and again and again, because I think that this is one of those topics that we all need to really get down to the nitty-gritty, find the answers for ourselves and for our children and for our culture, and you're going to love it. In case you're wondering what I'm even talking about, we're recording today here at Takawate for our Ultimate Homeschool Expo, and our topic today is featuring speaker, one of our keynote speakers, Felice Gerwitz, and she's going to be teaching the topic, Evolution and Creation, Keeping Our Kids Christian. Now, are you with me? Yes, this is a topic that I think every single one of us need to hear, and we need to really, really probably hear it a bunch of times, because for me, Felice is going to love this. It takes me a few times <laughs> to soak in all of the information. And I remember years ago, I mean, and several times we've talked about this, with Felice telling me, hey, I don't know if this was my topic. This was my partner's topic. But when you hear her speak, you're going to realize it's definitely her topic. She, she has got so much information. And I don't know about you, but when I began homeschooling, of course I felt that God was leading me to homeschool. And the, the funniest thing was how God always answered one of my heart cries. I didn't. I had a hard time with some of the studies that I didn't have the answers myself. That that I was, you know, afraid that my kids would ask me lots of questions and they'd get me in over my head. And the neat thing is, there are two things I learned homeschooling my kids about the tough questions that they'll ask inevitably. And number one is that you can always say, "I don't know. Let's look it up." And number two, you can always go to Felice Gerwitz at MediaAngels.com, <laughs> and she'll help you. <laughs> Is that crazy, y'all? She's going, oh, my goodness, I can't believe she's saying this about me. <laughs> but, no, seriously, we have used her curriculum with my children when they were growing up, and, of course, we'll talk more about that as the morning goes on. But also, when I have really and truly needed help and needed needed to know that it's the answers to some of the questions that, I mean, it's not just that my children are asking it, it's that our culture is asking it today. And our children, if they're going to be fully prepared to really reach out and minister to our culture, to really have the impact that God has called us to have as ambassadors for Christ, I believe that they're going to have to answer some of these questions, if any. And it's not just for even answering the questions that are that are asked by our culture. It's also for functioning in our daily, day-to-day life with, in, in, with all sorts of issues like health care or politics. And we won't get into all of that necessarily. Well, maybe we will. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be nice <laughs> about things like that. But seriously, I mean, how do you really hear the real issue behind some of those issues? How do you really know how to represent Christ in our culture that's where these lessons really help. And, and, of course, you can see, I believe this is so essential that this is definitely a topic we need for Ultimate Homeschool Expo. And it is with great, great pleasure that I get to welcome my sweet friend, Felice Gerwitz. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, man, I'm so excited about this topic. And before we dig in, could you just, I know I know your backstory, I know who you are, but there are probably those out here who maybe are just finding Ultimate Homeschool Expo or they're just um, maybe just listening in for the first time to some of our audios. Can you tell them a little bit about who you are and, and a little bit about your family and why you do what you do? Okay, do we have an hour? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, yeah. <laughs> well, as Cindy told you, my name is Felice Gerwitz. I have a background in education and came into the world of homeschooling with a child that would have been classified as special ed, my sweet Neil, who is now uh, approaching 30. I can't believe I have a 30-year-old child. And he's one of five. Um, I have Neil and then Christina, who... Um, uh, the two, I started homeschooling in 1986, and then I have three subsequent children, uh, Nicholas, who's 14, Annie, who's 12, and Mikey, who is 9. And I will continue to homeschool, I, I teasingly say, into my 70s, but I will be done <laughs> way before then. <laughs> but, uh, married to my best friend, Jeffrey, um, who is the love of my life, and we've been married for 30 years. This year will be 31, and so that's, um, in and of itself, an amazing feat in this day and age. Oh, yeah. And, isn't it? And so um, we continued to homeschool through the years, and at some point I was asked to speak on the topic of um, education and then science, and that brought me into a whole new world, one that I didn't like as an, uh, a student, an educator, or a home educator, and yet I found the Lord firmly putting me in the trenches of teaching science, making it entertaining as well as educational. And then the Lord led me to meet a wonderful lady by the name of Jill Whitlock, um, who left this earth about three years ago now, wow, um, and is mm. the glory of God. And she was um, an atheist that became a Christian and then said, Lord, you know, I'm already having a problem with in the beginning God created and uh, so what do I do with this? And she, when I met her, she had done a 10-year study on the creation versus evolution, um, you know, topic, which proved, you know, what her education and beliefs were as a well an oil geologist. So I met her at that point, and she and I um, banded together to write a series of curriculum for the homeschool and Christian school market, and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. I began writing other books. My daughter and I penned some novels. And you can find us at MediaAngels.com. Um, and as some people say, your site is so confusing. I'm in the process of redoing our website because there's just so much. I mean, I've gone on a, a lot of different divergent fields from that one um, segment. But I am still homeschooling. I'm still a homeschool mom. I've got one in high school and one in middle school and, and uh, actually two in middle school. We're bumping Michael up. <laughs> He's mm -hmm. on the back track. <laughs> I cannot believe that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and, and then I have, a, you know, just a lot of things that the Lord has led me to. And one is a ministry. It's a few minutes with God that is a Facebook fan page. And I post daily on that, which also helps me with my prayer time and meditation to put God first. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's new for this year. Oh, I love it. And you guys are going to love everything she does. You're going to definitely want to connect. And, of course, we'll talk more about that at the end so that we can help you connect with her. And, and for right now, you guys are in for a huge, huge treat. She's going to be teaching the topic, Evolution and Creation, Keeping Our Kids Christian. And you guys... If there's one workshop that I really encourage you guys to really tune into, this is it. This is it. Because I believe that these questions are questions that we all face. These are questions that really make or break our children whenever they step out of our door and go on out into the world on their own. Trust me, I want to know that my children can withstand the questions that are out there. And too many of our children today get out there in the world and they they're hit with questions that they that rock their faith and that's that's not what we want we want them to be rock solid in their faith not to be rocked by the questions so without any further ado i would lovingly welcome felice gerwitz to the mic and felice i'm going to mute myself and at the end i'll come back on for q a great thanks cindy well, this topic has taken um, another turn. This weekend, I was 
at a um, a healthcare ethics seminar. It was a medical um, seminar for doctors and nurses. In fact, they were able to get continuing education credit. And so you might ask, well, what, are you, what were you doing at a you know medical ethics seminar and spending all day Saturday there, which was a question my husband asked me as well. And one was that um, two of the doctors that were hosting this conference are personal friends of our family. And so I was invited by the wife of one of the doctors and um, really wanted to attend because of some of the topics that they were going to be talking about. And one of them was on, um, it was entitled The Embryo Defense of Human Life. And as you know, with the topic of, of creation and evolution, that's one of the big things that come up, you know, a definition of what human life is. And it was um, by a professor, Robert T. George, and I'll have you look him up because he is very credentialed and he is a Princeton University professor. And uh, what was amazing to me was the fact that the discussion these days has gone to the definition of life and what is life. And, you know, as a Christian, I believe that life is at the moment of conception and the human embryo is totally human. It is a human kind. It has a potential to grow into an adult. And um, that's exactly what Professor George taught. He then said, I cannot use my faith as a basis in these discussions with people of all faith as well as people of no faith. And he went on to um, deal with some logical conclusions that have to do with the debate that is ensuing not only in our political culture, um, and he was part of the bioethics committee under um, George Bush, but also um, on the educational level. And so, you know, he's written a lot of books and that kind of thing. But he was so articulate and so logical to me that um, I, I ended up posting a blog post about that this morning and writing a letter to the editor this morning for my newspaper, local newspaper. And um, instead of going over my notes for this talk, because I was just so taken by what he had to say and how much it dovetails into this discussion of creation and evolution. Let me just preface uh, this talk with a couple of things. And one of them is, my lack of knowledge beginning um, any discussion on the topic. I met Jill Whitlock uh, many years ago now, and she was a, um, a scientist. She was an oil and well geologist by degree. And when I met her, she was telling me about the topic of creation and evolution. And I said, you know what? I had just attended a conference at the uh, state convention the year before, and I said I was left with a lot of questions. I bought a lot of books, but I didn't know what to do with these books. And so, you know, she said, well, I've made a 10-year study and invite me over and I'll explain it. Well, my sister-in-law was visiting and she also was a homeschool mom, so we invited Jill over and I had a cassette player sitting there back in the days of cassette players, people. Um, and, you know, now I would have my computer with a mic and we would just do an MP3 digitally, you know. But anyway, so I thought, well, you know, she's probably going to go on and I'm not going to understand some of this stuff and we'll need to listen to it again. So she started out the discussion with the second law of thermodynamics. And I hit pause on the recorder. And I said, okay, we need to stop here. And I said, I didn't even know there was a first law of thermodynamics. And here you are talking about a second law of thermodynamics. And I said, what is thermodynamics? And so after you know, we all stopped laughing and I clicked, un unclicked the pause button and let her continue to talk, she went on and explained and opened my eyes to the world of science and how important it was to teach both concepts to your children as well as learn them both yourself. Because a lot of times I find that in the homeschool world that children are taught biblical principles and they're taught values and they're taught virtues and they're taught character qualities. And all of these things are very important and very pivotal and I do this as well in my own of my children. But I want to challenge you to go one step further, and I want to challenge you to consider teaching creation and evolution side by side, and here's the reason why. For many, many years, I've had friends um, in all walks of faith um, in the homeschool world and outside of, and I am 
one of these people that, you know, as for me and my home, we will serve the Lord. And yet I can talk to people and we can agree to disagree. And so um, having said that, a lot of people would say to me, you know, why are you bothering with this curriculum because, you know, it's anti-Christian because anybody who's, you know, open-minded would know that, you know, God used Genesis as an allegory. Or I would get this, you know, why are you bothering? It's a non-issue because only 1% of 1% of the Christian world even cares. And then I would get all kinds of things as, you know, well, only people who are not educated even consider creation as a viable alternative. And then I'd get, you know, creation is just um, a, a faith-based teaching. So, you know, I've heard it all, you know. And, I, and as I get older, I have learned that, you know, being upset and arguing never does anyone any good. And I don't argue the point anymore. What I do say is educate yourself and whatever you decide is between your maker if you even believe there is one or not. And it's not anything. I can only present the information and then you can decide how you're going to teach it. And, you know, I know there's some wonderful curriculum out there. I almost feel like, you know, my job is over in a sense in that so many people have jumped on the bandwagon and teach from a creationist perspective um, and wonderful textbooks and workbooks and all kinds of things. Our books are geared with a very, very detailed outline that Jill came up with after many, many, many years of research and were the staple for many years that, um, you know, there really wasn't anything that taught an apologetic type of, of um, an apologetic type of voice. And so our material can be used exclusively or as a, you know, a good um, basis for discussing evolution. And so uh, going back to the original point, which is, you know, the whole why bother, it is because in my life, not only hearing that, those kinds of stories as why are you doing this, to hearing really good friends of mine that would say to me, um, you know, as our children age now, we've got a whole culture of homeschoolers that have graduated, that are parents of their own, um, you know, I'm a grandma. And and, um, as of this taping, Christina's expecting her fourth child. And, you know, people will say, well, gosh, she has, you know, three little ones, and why is she having a fourth? And, you know, all the jokes she's already getting as a young mommy. And, you know, it's, it's this whole mental culture of, you know, we can put God in a box and, you know, this is how you're supposed to do it. And anybody else who's outside of that realm is just not educated, you know. And uh, both my daughter and her husband are both college graduates, so I would beg to differ with that. The point I'm making is that people who have decided, you know, stick with Christian principles in their homeschool world and have not wanted to delve into the, you know, the um, controversies of creation versus evolution and have taught their children, you know, here, read this book and, you know, you'll get your information from that, but maybe you have not discussed it in any great length, have then let me know that in college their children have lost their faith or are on the verge of losing their faith. And what, what I have found in story after story after story is that it is because of evolution. And that just astounds me, you know, and it shouldn't surprise me at this point, but it always continues to surprise me. And the reason it surprises me is because a lot of these people are my friends. You know, I've gotten email from people I don't know who have said the same thing, but but several of these people are, you know, what I would consider really good friends. And, you know, the fact that their children lost their faith in college because of evolution was not because they didn't have the resources available to them. They just didn't use them. And one friend that I knew particularly well, I said, didn't you use my curriculum? And she said, I bought it, but I opened it and it just overwhelmed me. And I said, well, what part overwhelmed you? Well, it's, you know, it's a study guide and it's just not something we can read. And I just heard a lecture um, uh, actually on a CD recently and the gentleman was talking about parenting and what he said was, you have to know what questions to ask and ask the right questions. And if you are just going to tell your children something without engaging them, without asking them what they think, 
without having a form of discussion and letting them take ownership on that thought. He said basically what you're doing is you're, speak, you know, you're speaking and you're enjoying what you have to say, but you're not engaging them and they are not going to learn it and make it their own. You know, we've all had to make a decision for, for Christ, and I can say this because this is you know, mostly a faith-based uh, seminar. And at some point in your life, you decided for Christ. It could have been as a child. It could have been as an adult. But at some point, you decided, yes, I am going to follow the Lord. And you made your parents' faith your own faith. Or perhaps you grew up without faith, and you found faith as an adult. But at some point, some of you can trace it to a date and a time even. Well, how are you going to educate your children, and how are they going to make what you believe their own or actually ask the questions, delve into it, answer their objections, and do it while they're still at home. And that's what I challenge you with today. I challenge you with giving them a foundation that is going to take them into and away from your home into adulthood where they're then going to have to make a choice. And they can make a choice for God, you know, and some of them have made a choice for God and and do believe in an evolutionary perspective. You know, Jill and I used to go round and round about that because she used to say, you know, anyone who didn't believe in a creationist perspective could not be a Christian. And I never agreed with that philosophy. I said, you know, again, we're putting God in a box. For myself and for my home, you know, we do take Genesis literally. We take every word in the Bible literally. And, you know, it is not up to me to decide, you know, we're going to treat Genesis as an allegory and then we're going to jump into Genesis, you know, chapter 12, which is the account of Abraham. And from then on, we have to say it's literal, you know, that whole section of Genesis because that's where the lineage of David and and subsequently Christ is is traced. So at some point, you know, Abraham was called out of the darkness, you know, and infused with a you know, a conscience so that he could follow, you know, Christ. I mean, that is what is taught in some, you know, Christian slash Catholic seminaries. You know, I don't know, and I'm not a seminarian, and I'm not a philosopher or a theologian, so I cannot, you know, definitively tell you what is being taught in seminaries across the world. What I can tell you is that treating Genesis as an allegory opens yourself up to treating other principles in the Bible as an allegory, just as a story that will teach morals and values and, you know, is is a nice little fairy tale for those of you who, you know, perhaps um, are not wise enough to, you know, get with the program and understand that evolution is a fact. And we're going to discuss that. So this is really a long way of telling you and, and discussing just things that have happened in my life that have really cemented the fact that as a Christian, it is important not only for me to teach my children biblical truth, but also to teach them that evolution does not hold the answers. It definitely does not hold the answers when it comes to virtues and, um, you know, and even um, deciding when an embryo is indeed um, allowed to be viable and to be allowed to live. You know, as a Christian, we believe that um, at the time of conception that God infuses a soul into that embryo, which then becomes, you know, and has the potential to become a human being. And while scientists no longer can say that an embryo is just a mass of cells because they have, you know, definitions contrary to that, they believe that an embryo is a homo sapien, that it is a human, that it is fully human. Their question goes back to, well, when is it human? And so those are the kinds of things that are very, very scary to me to the point that I decided I had to write to a letter to the editor and blog about it because a gentleman by the name of Peter Singer is a bioethics expert, and he believes that the moral significance of a baby up until 28 days of life is in question. He believes that it is because of his definition of what he considers as the potential of life, whether or not, you know, and obviously it is devoid of a God, but whether or not it should should be allowed to live is, is dependent on politics and opinion. And that, to me, people, has just shaken me to the core. More than any other seminar I've ever heard, 
this seminar by um, Professor George <clears throat> was really enlightening. And the other thing that really surprised me was that Professor George had to be transported to and from the airport by a deputy sheriff um, of Lee County. And it was, I'm sure, for his safety. You know, why couldn't one of the other people in charge of the conference go pick him up at the airport? And he had to be police escorted. Because people like him probably have death threats on their life. And, you know, we live in what we consider a free society. And things are, you know, even seminars like this at some point may be, um, you know, we may be told that there are specific things we can and can't say. And right now I just praise God that there is this ability to speak frankly about the importance of, you know, some of these aspects, not only of our faith, but of the future of our children. And explaining to your children that God created is wonderful, commendable, and should be done. But explaining to your children the tenets of what creation and evolution teach are both very important. You know, Charles Darwin is considered the father of evolutionary thought, and he really um, is the one who came out with the book first. But there were many, many other people and proponents of um, of evolution before Darwin um, brought his book to light. And he just um, pre pretty much preempted another author when he wrote On Origins of the Species, and it became based on some of his observations. It was published in 1859 and has become the dominant scientific theory of origins among influential scientists. And really the, the sad thing is that um, many people today and many scientists today no longer believe in evolution as proposed by Charles Darwin. In fact, they call it neo-Darwinianism. Uh, um, neo <laughs> I'm going to butcher it here. But, um, and neo meaning new. And it's a new, a new take on what Darwin taught because Darwin said that the fossil record would prove all the transitions that he speculated about in his observations and the fossil record is still sadly lacking. What, in, in not sad for us, but sad for evolutionists. And, and you will hear, and I, I have a, um, a science um, email that I get every week. And you know they're constantly finding the new missing link and the new this and the new that. And they just throw it out there and tell you that they have. And the amazing thing is that um, you'll find you know, no disclaimers when that whatever it was was no longer considered a, vo a valid claim. You just hear about it, it's a flash in the news and in the media, and then you don't hear about it again. So I would just you know, hold off on rejoicing and, and breaking out the, you know, the, the congratulations to all the evolutionary scientists until you know, the dust settles. Because in the time that I have been studying about creation versus evolution, there have been you know, three things that have really shaken the evolutionary foundation. And one is the scientists claim that DNA can be traced back to one set of parents. You know, one scientist referred to this as the micro, mitochondrial Eve. And it was bad press for him because of the reference to the Bible, but totally in line with what creationists teach, that all mankind comes from one set of parents. And if you believe in the biblical principles, we call them Adam and Eve. The second amazing thing was scientists believe they can test the effects of the beginning of time. Again, a big shock to them because they believe that the Big Bang arose from an eternal universe. And now if they can see a beginning, then the question becomes who started it. And the third shock of the, of the scientific community was when red blood cells were found in dinosaur bones. Now this is impossible if dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. The blood cells would have dissipated or fossilized. And um, we use this as a topic in our second novel in the Truth Seekers mystery series, um, Dinosaur Quest. And so those are things that really shape scientific theory. And Darwin's theory, as it is presented by Charles himself, is really, for, for the most part, pretty dead. And, um, you know, but maybe somebody should tell the authors and writers of secular children's scientific magazines about this. You know, I, I recently read an article at a doctor's office that discussed evolution as a proven fact. And it's considered a proven fact. They don't just say, oh, this is proven. They use words such as millions of years ago, or we know that millions of years ago. 
And so these are the things that really, um, you know, bother me when I read them. Teaching creation and evolution side by side is pivotal because your your student, your child, is going to constantly be bombarded with evolutionary information from secular sources. Second, we need to teach evolution so that our children will understand the problems with the theory and learn how to counter what they see and hear in the media. True science, by definition, is observable, repeatable, and testable. Therefore, since we cannot go back and observe or redo creation, nor can we observe or test evolution, then they are both belief systems. Both require faith to believe. When you believe God's word to us in the beginning, God created. Or are you going to believe man's word in the beginning, you know, there was goo. And so there are a lot of different beliefs about the beginning of, of creation or how, you know, how we began from an evolutionist perspective. In fact, my uh, neighbor, who would be considered a very logical and, um, you know, educated man who has been making six figures, so you, you would logically surmise that anyone who is, you know, fairly intelligent can make a very good living, you know, you would say, okay, you know, having met this man, that he is very intelligent. He would tease me, um, but part of it would be teasing and part of it would be truth when he would say to me, you know, Mrs. Gerwitz, what do you, what are the Christians going to do when the aliens come back? You know, or the aliens come, and I, and I, and he would just say this with all sincerity. You know, my husband would say, well, he's just teasing you to get a rise out of you, and you know, and I would just look at him and say. You know, the fact that there are aliens or not, you know, which I've heard a very good pastor explain that aliens are uh, demonic, you know, um, you know, it's a form of uh, demonic uh, illusion or delusion or however you want to claim that. But we're not even going to get into the alien thing right now. But the point is that this man genuinely believed that aliens came and populated the earth. And we've had discussions about that in the past. And so there are a lot of people that believe that, that they believe that, you know, life originated in a, far, in a planet far away. And, you know, there are all kinds of movies and so forth that, you know, continue to have us believe that there are, you know, creatures everywhere. And, and, and out of all of the questions that I get from students in doing any kind of seminars is that question, you know, is there life on other planets? And... Um, you know, the amazing thing to me is that that preoccupies us when the real question is, is there any basis in evolutionary thought? Is there any basis in what has been found in the fossil record or what has been found, you know, anywhere that would purport to, um, you know, give us an understanding that, you know, we did indeed, indeed involve over time? And, you know, just... And as Morse code can be distinguished from random sounds or natural phenomena, you know, we can also look at, uh, at the creation that God created as being very, very organized. And, you know, what else would you expect from a creator? You know, God doesn't make things out of random, a random mess, you know. And it's amazing that scientists, who would we, we would consider intelligent and educate, well-educated people claim that life, which is astonishingly more complex than anything ever devised by humans, could come out of natural processes or randomness, you know? And there are so many scientists and ordinary people who are so eager to believe the lies of evolution when there is so much evidence contrary to evolution, but it is censored and the opinions of scientists are presented as facts. You know, it's it's amazing to me that real facts are suppressed. If you want to have a, a scary um, a scary glimpse at, into the education system, I would go to the National Science uh, website and look at their course objectives. You will find this beautifully interactive PowerPoint presentation which explains to teachers not only how to teach evolution but also how to squelch those, you know, random students who are going to try to bring faith into the classroom and how we cannot have any faith in the classroom. Of course, evolution is being taught as a faith um, basis, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, we should 
you know, it, it doesn't mean that they agree with us. You know, nobody wants to say that evolution is fate, and yet there is no, you know, um, good hypothesis that really backs evolution. You know, there are so many things you can and cannot say. In fact, when somebody hears me say, you know, you're not allowed to say evolution cannot be proven because that in and of itself, you know, smacks of, you know, just you don't know what you're talking about because science is not proven. It is, you know, there are theories that are hypothesized and where you're given, they're given validity or not given validity. And I'm sorry, my voice gets to be condescending when I talk like this. But most people, in most people's vocabulary, okay, we either say things are proven or they're not. And yes, that is not correct science. We need to say, is it a valid hypothesis? And they're saying that the theory of evolution is a valid hypothesis based on, <clears throat> excuse me, all of this evidence. And I say, show us the evidence. <clears throat> excuse me. The evidence is closed in theory. It is closed in theory. And it is considered a valid theory. Therefore, it can it can and, you know, up to these tests, and it's all semantics. <coughs> oh, I may need to get a drink of water. Hold on. <coughs> Once I get going, um, you know, <laughs> this topic is something that I do um, I feel very strongly about, and you know, that is why it's so important to understand the vocabulary, understand the terminology. And my daughter was, um, she was called a task in college. Um, I remember uh, that was when she had gotten her first cell phone and she called me from school and it was funny. I would say to her, would you please keep your phone on? And she always had it on vibrate, so half the time she didn't hear when we called. And, or, you know, it was in her purse and not in her pocket. And so I remember her calling her first week of school, and she's like, Mom, pray. And I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'm fine, but I'm on my way to the professor's office. And I said, the professor's office? Why? And she was taking um, an anthropology class, and actually it was for archaeology. That's what it was. And so one of the children in the class, um, as the professor was going on about carbon-14 dating, said, excuse me, professor, I'm in, you know, I went to an evangelical Christian school, and, um, you know, we were taught that carbon-14 dating has problems. And so, you know, he said, you know, whatever. He said in response to that, pretty much shot down anything, this young girl, and she, he, she couldn't explain what she meant. And then my daughter raised her hand, and my daughter said, but isn't it true that carbon-14 dating has limitations for less than 10,000 years? And isn't it true that carbon-14 dating comes from niacin-12 that then, you know, is... Um, it's it, it found it's carbon-12. I'm going to get it, it all messed up. But anyway, she gave the whole explanation of carbon-14, and we really don't know how much carbon-14 was in the object when it died. And so the professor, you know, my daughter said it was like a deer in the headlights. You know, his eyes were really widened as she was talking. And he said, you know, this is a great topic, and why don't you come into my office and we'll discuss it later. And basically what he told her was, you're right, you know, we, there are some limitations to carbon-14 dating and, you know, like, for example, if it's tainted or someone touches it, you know, and that kind of thing. And he said, but I don't want to spend class time discussing it, so if you want to come into my office anytime, you're welcome to, and we can discuss it here. He didn't want it in the classroom because she would be able to, to um, discuss it intelligently and dissuade people from everything he was saying. And so she ended up having a lot of people come to her after class. And, and the end of the story is this professor respected Christina so much that he and his wife were at her wedding years later. The point is that she discussed it on, in a scientific manner with a scientific basis. That was, um, you know, um, acceptable. It wasn't done with, you know, well, the Bible says. And even though she absolutely believed that the Bible was where the foundation of this came from. She could discuss it intelligently using science, just as this professor was. Can your children do that? Can you do that? That is something that we need to learn how to do. You know, there's a movement to redefine science as the search for natural materialistic explanations for life. And if they can say that, which they already have, been, have moved to, then anything that is a supernatural explanation is considered 
unscientific by their own definition. You know, scientists will simply throw out all evidence that is contrary to their beliefs. Logic is ignored, and the search for truth is abandoned. And this is amazing because this is what I'm finding, and it was really evident to me when I heard this discussion this Saturday on, you know, the defense of human life and just discussing, you know, when is a human really a human and when is it really viable? And, it, you know, and an a embryo is, you know, not even viable. I mean, a, a less than 28-day child is not even as developed as a, as a chimpanzee. You know, it's, are you kidding me? You know, uh, you know what? What are you people thinking? You know, and and what are you scientists thinking? You know, how can you consider yourself, um, you know, a a bioethicist? I mean, it's, you know, it's just ethics is is it boils down to philosophy. And what is your underlying philosophy? I know Dr. George is a Christian, and some of these other people are not. So obviously, where they're coming from are two different places, and so. Um, you know, the fact that we have to be articulate and be able to define not only our faith using logic and reasoning as well as understanding the science behind it, to me, are so pivotal. You know, we're going to be left with a generation of children who do not know how to think logically. And it is important for us, for our children who are being taught to think logically, to be able to combat those who are illogical. You know, we have to be able to um, educate our children in a manner that gives them a sequential progression of thought. You know, when you're dealing with these arguments and these discussions, when I was taking my notes um, and listening to this gentleman, one of the things he was saying was he was explaining four of the, you know, many um, rebuttals that he gives, and and he reads different... um, papers and and he's involved with, you know, politics to a degree. And so he's called in from time to time to go into different, you know, ethics committees and listen to what they have to say. And this would take a whole other session, you know, and, and again, it's, you know, me telling you what he said. But the point is that what has come out in the form of science and what is being discussed is very, very scary. When there are people, people like um, you know Peter Singer, who is saying that a person is not, you know, does not deserve respect because it doesn't have specific acquired characteristics, and they're defining this as a philosophical question. For example, if you're in a coma, or if you, you know, are are sleeping even, you know, does that mean that you know, you're not, you don't have respect because you don't have specific characteristics? You know, and so all of these things, you know, can blow your mind when you think about it. And, you know, he was, one of the things that um, Professor George said was, you know, Aristotle said that a rational animal is the definition of what a human is. And he said, you know, it's amazing when you think of a rational animal as being likened to a human. You know, and he said that if if you get to the point where, you know, where, where does a baby possess rationality? You know, these are questions that are being discussed and we're sitting here very naively thinking, well, you know, this is not a discussion that we need to be getting into. And, you know, this creation thing, I mean, it's just too complicated. And Felice, you know, I open your books and I look at this, that outline and it just blows my mind and I just can't wrap my, my you know, my mind around it. And, um, you know, this is not something my kids need to learn. Well, I would just say that there are some things that I can show you today that doesn't it doesn't take a brain scientist. It doesn't take a, you know, a quantum physicist to understand. And one of them is that, you know, we can't go back in time. We can't repeat creation or evolution, but we can look at the evidence that's before us. And through critical thinking and reasoning, we can reach logical conclusions that, um, you know, biblical creation has recounted in the book of Genesis as far superior to evolution. For example, uh, you know, there are so many things that are what are called out-of-place artifacts. For example, a fossilized beetle that's supposed to be 60 million years old is unchanged from a modern living beetle. And so things like that we can point out and show our children and say, you know, look at this, kids. I mean, you can even research out-of-place artifacts. Those are the coolest things. They're called, um, you know, op arts as well, and that was, 
we use that topic in our third novel. Um, our novels deal with creation facts in a in a uh, fictionalized story, so the kids can learn as well as be entertained. You know, the majority of people today, including many Christians, think the theory of evolution was founded by Darwin and is supported by scientific effort, and it actually began before the ancient Greeks. And again, there is no scientific basis um, that really, really definitively says, you know, here's the information, you know, we're done with it, there's no more discussion. You know, the theory of evolution calls for minute changes over time and allows one species to change into a totally different species over millions of years. And that is called macroevolution. You know, and that's what people think that the theory is all about. And that is part of what that is about. But, you know, people keep trying to say that microevolution is also evolution. Now, micro is a change within a kind. And that is not um, at all what what we consider evolution. I mean, I have no problem with microevolution. There are all kinds, you know, there, there was one dog kind, and from that kind came all the dogs we see today. You know, when people talk about Noah's Ark, there are feasibility studies that have been done on Noah's Ark, and those are astounding that you can read about. And each kind of animal was on the Ark, you know, even some of the dinosaur kinds, and most dinosaurs were actually very small, about the size of a chicken. And so when you look at things like that, you know, it is amazing that, um, you know, that what has been done now. And let me tell you that creationists have really shaken the foundation of science. And even though they try to continue to say, you know, they're just not educated or they're educated scientists outside of their field, uh, more and more the Lord is bringing uh, scientists that are educated in their field into the creation science foray that really have a lot of them have had to leave their tenure or, um, you know, their, their, um, their places in universities. And uh, Dr. Henry Morris was one of them, who was a tenured scientist and left to, to found the Institute for Creation Research. And he was a sore, a sore um, point in the side of the, you know, quote, unquote, real scientist, because he was a real scientist. He was a tenured scientist at a you know, secular university, and the fact that he left and founded this Institute for Creation Research really was a sore point for them. And so I just praise God for people like Dr. Morris who um, took that initiative. You know, Darwin knew nothing of DNA and its complexity, and even James Watson and Francis Crick, the scientists who discovered it, recognized that nothing that complex could have evolved by random chance mutations over time. And this has spawned the whole um, intelligent design debate that now they're trying to say that that is, you know, a faith-based group. And it, you know, at first I wasn't really thrilled with the ide um, ideological, you know, premise of, you know, that uh, intelligent design, a designer had to create intelligently because it was made up of a lot of people not of any faith, and it's, you know, across the board uh, Christian groups. Christian, Catholic, uh, Jewish, and atheists were all part of this group and still are today. And uh, the founder of this terminology of um, irreducible complexity is actually a homeschool dad by the name of Michael Behe, who is um, you know, a PhD scientist, and he's a, a micro and cell biologist. And he extrapolated down to the bare minimum of what a cell is and when he showed it, and the, the videos are just astounding. In fact, you can um, go on YouTube. Uh, you can order. I, I've, I've bought about 10 of those DVDs and given them away. I don't even have one in the house. I tried to show my kids the other day and ended up having to resort to going to YouTube and, and uh, looking up Michael Behe and, and also um, Intelligent Design to show them what I was looking for. And I mean, just the the complexity of a cell is not what they thought. They did you know, they used to say, well a single cell is very, you know, basic. Well it's not when you go down to a, you know, um to the to the basics of what it is, it is so complex and just missing one tiny little part of it makes it a mutation which then cannot um reproduce itself. And so we look at things like a 50 million year old fish and we find out that it is totally unchanged. It still looks like a fish. And the fact that they decided it was 50 million years is, you know, again, under question. 
The theory of evolution is supported by many scientists, not because of its overwhelming scientific evidence, but because it allows them to be free of moral guidelines and to embrace what is called a materialistic philosophy. You know, and a coelacanth is supposed to be a marker for fossils that are 350 million years old, but it, you know, it was found um, in different areas, and of course, you know, it is unchanged. And so, it was even found fairly recently. You know, if you believe in creation, then you have to believe that God is the creator, and you have to live by moral laws. And if you believe that we evolved from non-living pond scum, then no life has any value, and you're free to make your own rules. And Louis Pasteur had a law of biogenesis. Now, a law of science is not the same as a theory of science. That's why evolution is still considered a theory. There is no law of evolution. Well, the law of biogenesis states that life can only come from life, and therefore evolution violates the law of biogenesis. And if you try to ask a scientist that, you will get every other answer but a direct response. And it's you know, to, to me, it's so amazing. And these are the kinds of things that happen when people turn their backs to Christian principles. They find that anything goes. And, you know, the same thing with this. Well, you know, um, an infant that is 28 days old can be euthanized because it's not capable of even what a chimpanzee is capable of. And those kinds of things just floor me. You know, and... Um, you know, the theory of evolution has a much broader scope than just the false teaching of origins, and it can be traced back to the influencing unbeliefs of Hitler and other leaders involved in racism, fascism, abortion, and communism, and other barbaric practices. Even in our own country's land of the free, we're subjected to the evil influences of, of different people who have used <clears throat> you know, their theories, such as um, Thomas, and I'm going to... Uh, his last name because I'm probably going to butcher it when I pronounce it. It's M-A-L-T-H-U-S. And he used Darwin's theory as an idea of inferior races to set up a system of sterilization of blacks and poor people who he deemed inferior and not fit to live and, and reproduce. You know, and that's the amazing thing. That's what happens when we, we park our faith and don't bring it into places of education. And with our children, in order to keep them Christian, when they leave our homes, we have to give them a scientific basis. Again, I feel like, you know, I've said this about 100 times in this, in this discussion, but that is so important to me. And, you know, again, um, it, it reminds me of so many situations that I've heard where children are presented with evolutionary thought. And a lot of these scientists are not going to say, well, you know, students, um, you know, I know that your parents are well-meaning and loving people, but you really need to know that, you know, anyone who has faith really is, you know, for the most part uneducated, and now you're in the halls of education and you really need to consider, you know, that faith needs to be parked at the door. You know, I was taught in my English class, English 101 in a freshman college class, that I was supposed to forget everything I had been previously taught and then I needed to listen to this professor and what he had to say about, uh, you know, English and grammar because everything else needed to be forgotten because, you know, it was all wrong. And that's an English class. We're not even talking about a science class. And I won't even talk about my professor who basically said he was an atheist and he was my Old Testament professor. And uh, this was at a Christian college, but we won't even go there as well. Because the thing is, when you've got an, a teacher, no matter what they proposed to say that they are unbiased, they're going to bring their bias in. You know, Professor George is a Christian. He is going to bring his Christian bias in to his philosophy. People who are not Christian are going to bring their, their, their philosophy based on what their, their faith or values are. No matter what they say, there is no way that you can't. And so, you know, what we're being taught today on evolution is by, for the most part, people who have part their faith. You know, not everyone, many. We continue to look at the fossil record, and we will see that there is stasis. That is, fossils stay the same, or they're extinct. But they, we do not see transitions. We, we find no fossil transitions, other than things that mostly have been disproven because they're false. 
You know, lies and deceptions of evolution are still being taught as truths in our schools and universities. And one of the saddest statistics is that when Christian students get into college and universities, they're being taught evolution as a fact, not as a theory. And, you know, as I said earlier, that unfortunately many of these students lose their faith and reject the biblical teachings of their families and churches and essentially lose their faith. And um, one of the things I wanted to add to this is the fact that, um, you know, my daughter's uh, friend was, who, was, who was a Christian and, and uh, a good friend of hers in, um, in her second year of biology class, she brought to the attention of the professor, you know, of course she brought the book over and showed me, and in the, draw, in the book was a, a drawing of Haeckel's um, embryos. And these embryos are of humans and different animals throughout their embryonic stages. And Hegel himself recanted that his drawings were false. And here we had in, um, I don't even remember, I want to say it's 2003, 2004, when these girls were in school, uh, I guess it was earlier than that, you know, let's just say the early 2000s, you know, 10 years ago now. Um, you know, here it was in the textbook, and my, my daughter's friend asked the professor and said, you know, why is this there? And she said, oh, yes, you know, we're going to skip over that. And, you know, I really wonder if the professor would have skipped over that, and yet the professors choose their textbook. Why would you choose a textbook with that in there, and what is that doing in a modern-day textbook? You know, when, when Haeckel himself um, recanted that the drawings were not, you know, true drawings, that he had altered the drawings to make the human embryo look more animal-like. And so these are the kinds of things that are purported as truth, and if they're in a textbook, do you think a normal student is going to look at it and say, wow, you know, that is, um, you know, something that is really, um, you know, important or not important? I mean, they're not going to differentiate. If it's in the textbook, their biggest question is going to be, you know, hey, is it going to be in the, on the test? You know, that's what they're going to ask. And so if it's not going to be in the test, you know, on the test, then they might not look at it. But um, if it's in a textbook, you would think the teacher would agree with it. So, you know, again, there is there are no transitional forms in evolution. That is something that you can show your children, and um, you can look at the geological evidences that really are clearly, um, you know, shown. And there is a gentleman. Uh, by no stretch is he a Christian, and he also is an evolutionist. But he has quite a bit of money, and he has put together these books that he sent to every um, university. They are hardbound, just from a publisher's perspective. You know, I looked at this book. I, I haven't seen it, seen it just on the Internet. And, um, you know, it, it at least would have cost him about $120 a book. They're full color, uh, full color, hardback. And he took it upon himself because he does believe that God created um, and he took it upon himself to send these books out, and he also allows for anyone to use his photographs um, for free. You know, you just have to state where you, you got the photographs. But he has all of these amazing, beautiful photographs um, of things that are, you know, that recant um, evolutionary thought, and a lot of them are fossilized types of creatures. And yet, you know, people look at him as this, you know, weirdo that, you know, um, believes in Allah, you know. And the, the point is that this man is taking his faith and he is educating those who don't believe or don't have any type of faith in God. And while we might, you know, be opposed to, you know, his philosophical principles on a, a Christian perspective, the point is that, he is furthering the cause against, you know, the fact that there is no creator. And even though he believes that, you know, there, there was millions of years in the creation process. So the point is that, you know, we have to do whatever we can with the resources we have. And I'm always edified when I see people like the doctors that put together this conference that I attended. You know, they could be on the golf course. You know, there's nothing wrong with playing golf. There's a lot of people do it here in Florida. But they could be just, you know, off on their boats or on the golf course or doing whatever they want to do on a Saturday instead of spending all the hours it took to get this conference together and even to make it um, so that 
these individuals and a lot of the nurses could get continuing education credit. And how wonderful is that they were able to attend this conference and to be able to, you know, get continuing education and hear a real Christian perspective of what life is. And again, you know, as Christian parents, we're entrusted with the education of the children that God has given us to raise. We must follow the commands of 1 Peter 3.15 to always be prepared to give an answer, a ready answer to everyone who asks for the reasons you believe and for the hope that you have. And that hope for us as Christians is that God created. You know, if you look at Genesis just from um, its exegesis, you know, that there is the, the literal arguments for the, the days of creation are only rejected because science has proven that the earth and the universe are billions of years old. And even when you look at, you know, Christians that say, well, no, Genesis is not, it's supposed to be a superficial reading or it's supposed to be a, um, you know, not taken literally. When they say that, they usually indicate that the reason is because they know that the earth is billions of years old. And so, you know, it's just amazing to me that they would explain their reading of Genesis by science. And it's not just a superficial reading of Genesis that gives you the impression that it is to be taken literally. It is, um, you know, a really deep reading that also will bring you to the same conclusion. You know, um, creationism is not going to go away. If, if you can support any of the creationists, um, to me, the, the best one is ICR, the Institute for Creation Research. Not that the other ones aren't great, but ICR is the foundation that does the research. They're the ones that do all the research, and they have a project that they, they call the Rate Project. And believe me, it was blasted by, um, you know, in fact, when you, when you Google Rate, R-A-T-E, you will find almost as many... Um, atheistic impressions about it as, as well as what the Rate Foundation um, you know, group came up with. And what they did was they extrapolated out different things that happened over time and um, showed it kept pointing to a young earth. <clears throat> and I know some people don't want to get into the young versus old. You know, In fact, um, I spoke with a gentleman <clears throat> and even though he believed in a young earth, <clears throat> I'm going to clear my throat again. He purposely left it out of his discussions because he didn't want to be controversial. <clears throat> and so, you know, I think that at some point we have to make a decision. And, you know, I might lose sales. In fact, I have lost sales to a lot of other, you know, curriculum that's out there. And people can say, well, you know, their curriculum is better than yours and we can just read it and it's just textbooks and it's workbooks and you know, I don't have to plan anything out or I don't have to, you know, I can just give it to my kids and we can read it, we can discuss it, and we can do activities and all that kind of stuff, and we're still learning about it. And I say, yes, definitely there are some great things out there, but you need to give your kids the facts. You know, I don't I want this to be a, um, you know, a, a thing about comparison of curriculum or anything like that. Because since Jill has died, you know, I feel like, Part of Media Angels has died with her passing, and she was a scientist. She was the brains behind the book. She was the one who really understood the scientific principles. And the Lord has left me to continue on her legacy, um, and to continue to to explain to people the values that are contained um, not only in the Book of Genesis but also in the entire Bible, that we have to shore up our children so that they can, you know, refute what I consider compromises to the faith. And, um, you know, it's, it's just really hard for me um, as a parent to, set, to teach my children that Genesis is an allegory and that everything else, you know, um, dealing with Christ or in the New Testament is then considered fact because what's going to happen is then other things are left up for discussion. And I just want to end with um, this idea that, um, you know, that is being discussed right now on the political front as well as, you know, um, just all around us. I mean, the health care bill came out and this one doctor who was a doctor of um, 
she was an, uh, an obstetric uh, OBYGYN, and she uh, was asked about the health care bill, and she got up and she said, I have no idea what's in the health care bill. I mean, this is a doctor, a practicing doctor, um, you know, that, that doesn't know. And, you know, we're, we're con- we have been given these inalienable rights by our Constitution that all beings are created equal. But when you have people defining what a human being is and doing it based on developmental issues and understanding based on a criteria that is coming from their ideology, it is a scary thing. You know, this whole idea of embryos and when they are worthy to be considered worthy of respect and when they're not. And it's based on, you know, quantifying criteria. And, you know, it it goes into the cloning and it goes into stem cell research and it goes into genetics and all these things that are way above me. But the one thing I do know, and that is that God did create and God created us in his image and God created us to be good, to follow him, to make a decision, a logical decision. And the only way we can do that, parents, is to become informed and to inform our children. Thanks so much for listening to the Creation Science Podcast. You can find the show notes at creationsciencepodcast.com. And as always, reach out to me, Felice Gerwitz, at felice at mediaangels.com. Take care, God bless, and I hope you enjoy teaching your children and learning about the beautiful world that God created. Please share this broadcast with a friend, and thanks so much. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcast apps. Look for the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show to keep up to date with all our wonderful podcasts. For a special subscriber printable pack, as well as all our timely freebies, join our email list on theultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com.